I came into this world not guaranteed. I was actually a preemie stillborn, dead on arrival. Through modern medicine, I got to live another day. And needless to say, just ensure that you live every moment, every minute to the fullest. I don't know if you're going to see this voice moment. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy Podcast. It is a beautiful day outside. Today, we have an awesome guest in the business sphere once again, because it's so cool. We have Newton Huang, who is from Seven Leaves. So you're going to love him. So let's do it. Newton, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am not unwell, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. I love that. I want to say that. I am not unwell. So then, are you happy? Yes, I can actually say that now for sure. I'm a new dad by way of a, a currently three-year-old daughter. I had my first child uh, the day that the world shut down, March 15, 2020. Wow. And uh, needless to say, that wasn't in the cards for a pandemic to occur. But, you know, me being in my 40s have found a, a greater meaning and purpose in terms of what happiness means to me. And that's vicariously through my daughter. That's amazing. And I really want people to kind of even catch a glimpse of what that feels like. So can you tell me what this change in happiness was before she came into this world and then the difference of happiness now that she's here? I, like many folks in, I guess, quote unquote, my generation have these ideas of where we want to be at certain points in our life. You know, the imagery that I'd like to convey to your listeners is the fact that it seldom is point A to point B a straight line. Mine has gone like all over the place like spaghetti. And, you know, there was a, a self-realization that I had that I'm okay with not being where I think I should be relative to my overall perception and outlook of what the world is around me. And it never became more apparent when one, I was given the blessing of a daughter, but then in that very hyper environment of a pandemic, it was very eye-opening to me. I, I know that the pandemic was a very tragic thing abroad and locally here, but it afforded me the ability to be there for my daughter's first moments of everything. And I'm a serial workaholic in the food and beverage industry. And so seeing those first was a something that I just wasn't really prepared for, to be brutally honest. I heard about them, I read about them, but I never really imagined that I would be around during those times. And like all things, the dopamine hits happen and I just want to be around for her as much as I possibly can. So that happiness is just a luxury of riches. And I just don't know what to do with it at times because I just break speed laws to get home as quickly as I possibly can just so I could be there. Maybe not do that. Yeah. <laughs> It's for sure. Maybe. You know, I just, this is one thing I have to tell you is that when you said that you had your baby, and I know that it was hard for people that had babies during the pandemic, especially when it started, because no one knew what was what, right? No one knew up from down. And it was a chaos. And I know the feeling my brother was in the hospital and it was just chaos. But the baby, when she grows older and she sees and knows and finds out that there was a pandemic when she was born, you have to promise me that you will tell her that even though that all of that stuff 
was going on and, and all of that chaos and craziness that it, it's almost as if the world stopped for her. I, I couldn't have put that better myself. It, it really did and surreal and real at the same time. I being a first time father, just not knowing what, what to do. It was extremely humbling to have my wife there along my side to really be that steady Eddie. And then, you know, just beyond that, really just putting myself in the right headspace of, you know, what do I want for her at the end of what this quote unquote pandemic is. And so, you know, like anything else, I don't know if many people made career changes. Well, no, actually I do. You know, there's buzzwords of like quiet quitting and the great transition or whatever you want to call it. And I unconsciously did that. You know, I changed a work environment for the better by way of just putting myself in a environment here at Seven Leaves where I could be more part of my daughter's life, which was something that I had so desperately wanted. I think that that's so cool that you can now kind of like reclaim your life and get to have all of those moments. Like you get to celebrate some really amazing things in your work. Then you also get to celebrate these amazing things in your life and her life and your family life. And it's so important. It absolutely is. I have a son who I adopted him when he was older. So when I met my spouse at the time, he was seven years old already. And so I kind of came in, you know, mid mid show, I guess. It was instantly, he was instantly my son, like instantly. And I protected him and, and loved him very, very hard as if, you know, he was like my own child. And then eventually I, I adopted him as well. But I just think that it's, it's just so important that they know all the time how much they're loved. And when they're annoyed, you know, as they're teenagers, they will get annoyed and be like, not in front of my friends, all that stuff. It's important that that we still do it anyway and still like love very hard on them anyway, like in a good way, of course, right? In a constructive way, just so that way they know, because I think it has a significant impact as we grow up and, and knowing that there was someone there constantly cheering you on, constantly behind you and supporting you. And it just it just lays the foundation for them knowing that they can do anything because they don't have to worry about needing that that they didn't receive, you know, in the, in the family. So yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you any more than that. You know, when I look at parenting as a whole and I look back at even how my parents reared me, I coming from an immigrant family, I guess I can easily say I grew up in the, the house of hard knocks where like my mom and dad had no qualms about putting me in my place, especially if I did something out of character. But, you know, even now, as I go through my daughter's toddler years, she appears to feel like she's a teenager currently. I do have to kind of repose myself and just recognize that, you know, anything I do now can shape transformatively how she sees things. Obviously, you take the good and the bad and the ugly, but modern day parenting versus, I guess, parenting of the days gone by is uniquely different because the world we have is very different. You know, I had a very impassing debate with some of my cohorts here at work and they were just thinking out loud and saying like, is it harder to raise a daughter or a son in today's modern world? And of course, everybody has their opinions about that. But the bottom line is it's just harder. I don't necessarily know if there's this semblance or this belief of the past being quote unquote easier, but the world is a much smaller place now. You know, we're contending with things such as social media. We're contending with a new landscape of education. I shudder because I'm just like, oh, I don't even know if I'm prepared to understand how to teach my daughter Common Core because I couldn't make heads or tails of that. It is a very different world, one that I, I happily embrace, but know that I want my daughter to be able to contribute in a, in a positive and meaningful way, right? And that's something that I think all parents want for their kids. They may not overtly say that or it's not 100% dialed in, but we all want that. It's just something that I consciously think about all the time. In addition to family, in addition to work, are there other things 
that also bring a smile to your face? Other comforts? Like, what are other things that make you happy? I'm pausing there because I thought I knew how to answer this particular question. But it's interesting you bring this up because I've never really, quote unquote, generated my own happiness. I've Mm -hmm. found more fulfillment and meaning when I share happiness with others or prop others around me up. I think some people even anecdotally call it, oh, that sounds like hero syndrome. Right. You're just kind of taking care of everyone, but not yourself. Through some recent turn of events, even in my own world, I recognize that I kind of took my eye off that ball a little bit with regards to my own personal health and to then incorporate different lifestyle changes coupled with just a general awareness of like, hey, Newt, you're not exactly where you thought you want to be, but you need to be there and better for your daughter is really kind of something that is prevalent in my own mind. You know, for that happiness, it kind of goes through the motions for sure. You know, I I do make it a point to take a moment wherever I can, but with a young toddler, it's a little hard and I'm just physically and mentally exhausted like much of the free world when it comes to just parenting and having a full-time job. But, you know, where I kind of take a little bit of solace is just unique scenarios where I get to share time with others. You know, some of my cohorts asked me what my love language was and I was like, what are you talking about? Of course, they send me this URL link to take a love language test and apparently what matters most to me is quality time. And so where I am able to kind of press pause or shift a paradigm mindset is when I'm just able to just kind of chat it up with folks like you or anyone else that's just willing to give me an ear. I am very much an active listener and therefore I'm really engrossed with just learning about other people's experiences. And vicariously, I kind of glean happiness out of that while trying to materialize it in my own mind. It's a little bit of something that I'm working on or is a work in progress. You know, I've mentally tried to tell myself be present, which is something I think a lot of people combat with on a day-to-day basis. Thanks to this little device, right? I don't use the terminology of disconnect, but I do always forefront that with of just being engaged. And so, you know, whatever occupies my mind and time at that moment, I'm right there. I really diligently try to ensure that I don't deviate whatsoever. If you could share a message, doesn't matter what it is, could be small, it's going to matter to somebody, but what would your message be? I don't know if it's a message, but in the last decade-ish or so, I've really kind of wrapped my head around a certain principle. And I'm not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination, but it's called 1440. Basically, it's 60 minutes in an hour and 24 hours in a day equals 1,440 minutes. Mm. And the ideology about that is kind of, what do you do with that time? I came into this world not guaranteed. I was actually a preemie stillborn. I was dead on arrival. And needless to say, through the miracle of resuscitation and modern medicine, I got to live another day. And so for me, if there's something I would ever want to cascade to your listeners is to just ensure that you live every moment, every minute to the fullest and to absolutely know that in some regards, time is a commodity. It's something you can't take with you. You can try to save it and do what you can, but where it matters most is where you put that time. And for me, I've just been kind of cutting the fat on a lot of things that just take up my time unnecessarily. But I find it much more gratifying when I do use that time in a way that's conducive to just my family and my work. And it just creates a much more whole body experience for me. Yeah, for sure. That's intense. Do you remember anything from like so early in life? Yeah, I 
don't per se. I do have a physical reminder because as the doctor was resuscitating my four pound, six ounce body through CPR and chest compressions, I do have a concavity in my chest, which is a slight indentation. It's not as apparent as it was when I was teenage years, you know, is a physical reminder to me that yeah. I may not have been supposed to be here. And so that's really why I, I guess in a way was very embarrassed by it when I was young for obvious reasons, you know, imagine changing your clothes in a high school and not looking like everyone else. For me, I think of it as kind of a gift when I can see that and know that every minute that I'm here, it's it's meant for something. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's a very serious yet kind of profound reminder for you, like to be to have it like physically there all the time. I think it's important in so many ways. But I think that it's quite the opposite. I would argue the opposite that not that you were not supposed to, but that you were so supposed to that these measures, you know, that they that they kept you here or they brought you back here because you were supposed to be here. To my mom, who was 22 years old at that time, with very limited to no English speaking skills, that was life in a second, right? And in that that one second, it probably felt like a millennia for her, but all good things happen, right? Did you ever ask her about that one second? Like what was going through her mind? Like how she, any of that? Did you ever ask her? I do make it a point to kind of ask her every once in a blue moon throughout the years. And that story has kind of not changed, but definitely a, a different lens goes mm -hmm. on top of the answer. And so, you know, when I I was in my adolescence asking her what that was. She was kind of quote unquote sugarcoating it. And then as I get older into my adult life and her into her retirement life, she remembers it so vividly. And, you know, that sort of visceral reaction and that share is extremely, I take a lot of humility in that because, you know, that's my mom first and foremost. And, you know, like anything else, I being a new parent cannot, cannot imagine what it would be like to go through that. And I did in my own sort of way, I guess. Yeah, you both went through it together. That is really profound that it changes and that makes perfect sense because yes when you're young they do kind of sugarcoat the information because you should not be aware of such things at a very very young age and as you get older and things are a little bit more acceptable for you to know it's like okay now we can do real talk so thank you so much for sharing all of that with us and remind me was it 1440 1,440, which is the number of minutes in one singular day. Yeah, I think that's just so cool. When you think of that, that 1440, do you ever meditate on what you want that next 1440 to be? Yes and no. I think meditation, fortunately and unfortunately, is not a practice that I have on a regular day-to-day -day basis, which I should try to incorporate. But when it comes to like future casting and, and looking at what the next day holds, there's certain things that I can control and other things that I can't control. One of the things that I've told my wife day in and day out is like, I will not go to bed upset. And, you know, whatever is going on, despite exterior or exterior surroundings, I want to ensure that I end my day and I start my day kind of the same way. That has given me a lot of solace and consistency in my life that it's kind of simple to do. It's just a state of mind, as people call it. And I take whatever the day kind of gives to me. And, you know, for those who are Sagittarians and us being future planners and whatnot, you can always plan the near and the far. But, you know, like anything else, I remain flexible to just being available for things that come my way. And so providing that adaptability has really kind of alleviated a lot of the burdens, right? I think amongst high 
high-performing, high-productive individuals, which I characterize myself more so in the past than to myself future state in some capacity. It's kind of hard. You know, you really try to jam as much as you possibly can into one particular day. But sometimes there's carryover and that's okay too. I think like anything else, I try not to take myself too seriously for sure. But I always do recognize that, you know, when I have the chance to get to the next day, I'm going to make sure that I approach it the same way I ended the day prior. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I really like that you just refuse to go to bed mad. Most people are like, oh, you know, it's a spouse thing where they're like, we're not going to go to bed mad at each other. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. You just deciding not to go to bed mad in general. That's that's an interesting idea. And it's like no shade or no worries about not meditating every day. Meditation, it comes whenever it comes to you and, you know, when you can handle that in your schedule, I think it'll it'll find its way to you and you to it. So it's not a big deal if you're not doing yoga like every morning at sunrise. Like, come on. I'd love to. And I've tried. And, you know, if ever given that opportunity, you betcha I will try it again. Right. Or even Tai Chi. I mean, because you're in California. Are you in Thousand Oaks or where are you? I'm based in what they call the Inland Empire, San Bernardino County. So it's about 20 miles east of L.A. You know, if you're so cal, it's, it's either L.A. County or bust. And then everything else has to try to sound as cool as L.A. And the folks that live a little bit more interior have to kind of prop ourselves up. And I mean, I've been a resident of the Inland Empire for, you know, a long time. And that's just kind of what we what I know. I don't. It sounds like the Star Wars music is supposed to follow you everywhere because you live in the Empire or something. That would be a pretty cool soundtrack for sure. It would be. You know, you could probably do that. There's probably an app for that. I love California. I love the nature. I lived in Seattle at one point, so I love that West Coast and Pacific Northwest like vibe. The weather is the nature, all of it. It's all great stuff. I used to go to San Francisco all the time. I used to go to a music festival there. And I, San Francisco has the Outside Lands Festival. Started going back in 2012, I think. I saw Radiohead there. I don't know if it great was band. Oh, dude. I know it was my my one that I had to see in a hall. I saw them. I saw Jack Black, Tenacious D. I saw Beck. I saw so many cool people. But I used to go like one day. So it was a three day thing. And so to save money, and I recommend this to anybody listening to, if you want to go to a festival and not spend a whole bunch of money, pick your favorite day of the festival, get the red eye, get the cheapest ticket and go absurdly early or whatever. Just go, you know, block out the day and go at whatever the cheapest ticket is and then fly back on the red eye and don't don't get a hotel don't even stay there just come back same day stay up for the four hours that you have to just you spend like a ridiculously small fraction of the price <laughs> and you'll have the best time that makes a total amount of sense i mean geez concert life i think the last concert i went to was oh my goodness i'm dating well i'm not dating myself it was bleak 182 i, I love them i just I, I know they're coming back on, on the road again and gonna be oh. performing i try to get those tickets but darn it Ticketmaster. Well, you're not dating yourself i'm only like maybe two years behind you so it's not, okay. not even a thing i think we all know <laughs> the same groups it's all good i love that everyone keeps on changing these generational like you fit into the z and the x and the y and the apples and oranges just you know there's going to be a fruit generations next I, I work with a couple of younger cohorts, way cooler than me, and I am educated every single day with the jargon and whatnot. And I just feel like, okay, that's a new my vernacular for sure. And it's like your parents were the same way, though, you know? Like oh, we yeah. About that, that your parents were the exact same baffled face that you have. I get through that to the people that I work with at Happy Productions. A lot of people there are younger. They're all amazing. There's There really is no line when it comes to age versus 
uses creativity and, and that life experience and how it affects that creative space for, for someone. I really don't think there's a difference, honestly. So yeah, there's a lot of people that are super young and I'm just like, I'm over here like Googling what that word meant. I literally Googled something from TikTok the other day and I'm going to just like out myself for it. I won't say what it was because I'm embarrassed, but I put that into Google and said, what does this mean on TikTok? And it told me. So I recommend that as a resource if that, that happens to you. I might actually do that on a day-to-day basis because just the lexicon continuously changes for me. I'll throw words like rad and they're like, what is rad? Oh, awesome. Yeah. Then they tell me things like Riz and I'm like, what is that? A Ritz cracker, by my knowledge, is, you know, a butter cracker, you know, that tastes amazing with some cheese. But Riz is just something else altogether for your listeners who are going to cringe whenever they, they're like, no, it's Riz, R-I-Z-Z, not R-I. TC, but you know, I just look at it right now as information sharing. It's kind of the same thing. Yes. Yes, it is. It's so funny. I love the TikTok content that you see where people are constantly making fun of those phrases and, and they're just so funny. It's great when all generations can laugh at each other, you know. So let's talk seven leaves. I've been waiting to talk seven leaves. I read this article that said you guys had new locations opening. One thing that caught my eye specifically said that you guys were, it was like rooted like in like freshness and, you know, natural. And I was so curious about that because, you know, for a lot of businesses, they can say that, but are they really embodying that? So how does that play into like the seven leaves culture? Seven Leaves as a brand is about 11 years old. Our founders are a family, a band of brothers, as I'd call them. And they were also immigrants. And many of them, if not all the brothers, had respectable day jobs here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And one day decided to just stop, like literally just stop and say, like, we need to do something else. And so what birthed out of that was a very unassuming 400 square foot location in Garden Grove, California. And they created beverages that they knew of, you know, from the homeland, as you would call it. And Respectfully, a lot of Vietnamese cuisine, which is the ethnic background that our founders are, have only fresh ingredients accessible to them. They make a statement by which they do it like how grandma used to do it. Okay. And by that versioning is still the very same way we do it right now. In our segment of coffee and tea, there's just a proliferation of just the 800 pound gorillas like the Starbucks of the world. And then everyone downstream like the mom and pop shops. And in our category, everybody demands quickness and convenience and a litany of other thing and how many concepts navigate through that are just kind of taking shortcuts for obvious reasons. Here at Seven Leaves, we actually don't do that. We do things the opposite direction where we cook everything from its raw state inside our stores. It's a very painstaking process by which we steep the tea, shave down taro roots, the mundane. And these are not easy things to do. It is not something that you can just pick up in a day. There's an actual curriculum and coursework that you have to go through to understand the science behind all of it. Because if heaven forbid you go over the steeping window, then we have to throw the entire batch out. And so empirically, when the customer takes a hold of our drink and they taste our product, they can tell very quickly there's something different, that there is nothing in here that tastes like artificial, right? And I think that is really where our founders caught lightning in a bottle by version of our customer base and why they're so rabidly loyal to us. Because what we do procure and create has all of that intention in mind. And that sort of bullishness that we have is that we don't create a lot of new drinks, which is, again, kind of a, a segment outlier where you have to come up with a drink every week, every month, whatever, to keep people coming, right? We don't. And by that philosophy, we're able to keep things consistent, simple for our operations to execute against and create a scenario where the product is the start 
are, but also our brand and our experience become really strong co-stars in that entire experience for our customer. And so the natural component of our drinks is something we don't take a whole lot of credit for, right? You know, we don't, I guess, tell people that you're drinking real taro, but for those who know, they know, right? And that's kind of how we like to keep it. Why is that? You know, it was at an early time, a kind of a brand differentiator by version of, you know, we want to do things differently, right? That entrepreneur mindset of just trying to disrupt things. And, you know, it just stuck. And there have been very contentious conversations internally of like, well, how do we even make this easier? And if easier means sacrificing a quality, then it just doesn't happen, right? And when we are facing the current climate of supply chain and ingredients and products, inflation is a real thing. It becomes even challenging, more challenging for a business like ours, but we stay extremely rigid of like, nope, we're not going to compromise quality. We're not going to compromise taste. And yes, it does cost us a little bit more to make it, but that is not something we're going to manipulate or change in a way that erodes the customer experience because that's what made us who we are now. Yeah, for sure. I really love that people get behind a business that they're like, you know what? They're awesome. I'm going to stay here forever. I think there's something about that that's just, it's just great to see. You know, it kind of gives you hope about. A hundred percent, Vanessa. I think, you know, it, it, the customer votes by the way of their credit card, right? That's what people say in my segment. And, you know, the reality here is that there's a lot of com compelling forces pulling people in opposite directions. And, you know, no longer is it just a product that creates loyalty, right? It's got to be a business with purpose. And actually, that's really why I've been able to flourish in what it is that I do because, you know, respectfully speaking, when I saw on our cup emblazoned Gandhi's statement of be the change that you wish to see in the world, I went, mm, how are you doing that? Yeah. And our brand in its earliest days did that, not as consistently as they'd like, but, you know, there was a lot of effort and it wasn't necessarily strategic. It was just kind of like a matter of things falling into place. However, with Newt in the driver's seat and me having the keys to the car, I essentially could step on the gas and really make this a thing for us because at this day and age, our customers customers, past, present, and future sort of expect and demand that out of us. Yeah, for sure. I think that now people are starting to kind of like advocate more, you know, for, for themselves and for everyone, really. I'm curious about the time that you've spent in like beverage and food because you, you previously before the show, you said that you'd been in the space for over two decades. Is that right? That is correct. What is like a wisdom, a food and beverage wisdom that comes out of working in a particular industry for two decades? There's a lot of different ways to come at this answer, but my knee-jerk reaction is for those who want to go into the food and beverage space, and I have a long Rolodex of friends who kind of poke at me and say like, hey, I have this idea, I want to do it. And I'm not the first to poo-poo all over that idea, but I am one to get real, right? Because I am very passionate about the food and beverage industry. And therefore, when I have that opportunity to kind of create an awareness on something that I am engrossed in, so to speak, then I honestly want to ensure that I preserve my industry and right and how I fell in love with food and beverage was because you know in my undergraduate years I did what I thought was right and that was to please my mom and can pursue a degree in biology and I just it wasn't for me but like many college students who spent eight hours a day in classes I was also spending eight hours a day in front of a fryer and a grill busting tables bartending whatever and I just met some really good people and I found myself in an environment where I felt inclusive right and I wasn't being judged and it was always around food and beverage. And so I made the hard pivot into the world of food and beverage by doing what most young people by standards of 19 
90s, opened their own business. I had no experience by version of my own capital. And I just decided to just go all in. And it was 10 years of doing that where I learned everything I could. And when you're a CEO, that's just what happens. To kind of tie a nice little bow on this question, you know, the thing that I've gained out of being in this space is that I guess restaurants or eating a meal is kind of like an intersection where life happens. And generally people's fondest memories are around food. And so when I felt that and then now am a part of that, that's kind of the the overall essence that wherever company I go to, I have that in the forefront of my mind. And, you know, sometimes people don't. And, you know, sometimes people don't recognize that, you know, the industry as a whole, sad to say, has a really bad reputation of 80, 90 hour work weeks, no living wage, you know, eating behind a table. And that was kind of where it was at 20 years ago. And then now my industry is challenged by which the new generation of restaurateurs are not as apparent as they used to be. We have a lot of younger folks, quote unquote, who aspire to be YouTubers or influencers and have zero appetite of being a director of operations or something in that capacity. And so we are feeling that quite badly right now. And there's a shift in the industry that has to address this head on in order to preserve the experience as a whole. It'll be interesting to see how things shake down for sure. Uh, I'm not part of the old guard, but I'm part of a guard now that has to ensure that the next generation of food and beverage professionals really understand that, again, this is an experience and it's a moment in people's lives that you're catering and hosting for them. Yeah. Thank you so very much for being here and sharing all this awesome information. And please, by all means, tell everyone where they can find more on Seven Leaves, websites, social handles, all of that good stuff. Tell us, please. You can find us at sevenleavescafe.com, our Instagram handle, sevenleavescafe as well. You can look me up on LinkedIn and then, you know, just be on the lookout for us. We're definitely a small but mighty brand that kind of likes to punch above our weight class. And we're, we're doing some pretty big things coming up. And so I'm happy to see how that thing shakes out for sure. Yeah. And you know what? Real quick, I have to say there's something that I I saw on your LinkedIn. It says one third of a marketing trio, one half of an IT duo, one part of the 7L tribe. Is that you being awesome or is that like the standard mission of Seven Leaves? You know, that usually that's where people put their titles, right? I hate it when people refer to me as, oh, that's the director of marketing and IT. And I'm like, nah, that's not new. I put that as a kind of a face front awareness and reminder to myself that I'm part of something much broader. Anyone that knows me knows that I come from a place of, I guess, to kind of really envision it. Whenever I go into my restaurants, I'm the first person to shake the hands of the cashiers and the cooks because they are the reasons I have a job. And and in no way, shape or form am I ever to be seen as like, oh, that's my boss or that's a corporate guy. It's just, no, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to support you and make you successful. And that is kind of where I I ground myself myself and have found a lot of obvious success in my career because of just that general reproach, because I don't see myself as anything big for sure. My signature as quote unquote is a conversation starter for sure. But I was very intentional about how I wanted to frame that because my team recognizes like, oh, Newt's not my boss. He's my teammate. Oh man, that is so amazing on so many levels. That is the best like bio 
thing. It is perfectly new. It is. It is exactly you. And uh, the fact that you wrote that, come on, that's it. We're done. You win. Like, Thank you so much, Vanessa. That was awesome. Appreciate the time to occupy your listeners' ears and you know, many blessings to everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the podcast. I hope you've had the best time. I know I have. We've laughed. We've cried. I've laughed. I've cried. Not much you. But I'm sure you guys will too at home. Have a great day. We'll see you next time on Are You Happy Podcast. And, and similar to what Newt said, we wouldn't be here if not for you. See you next time on the Are You Happy Podcast. Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy, the docuseries can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy, the Happy Hour.